going to return to Galatians chapter 3 tonight. Continue our study here in this book, specifically in this third chapter. Specifically considering, well, among other things, that man Abraham and his mention in this book. Paul, um, well, Paul didn't hesitate to point out those examples from the past, and he does so with Abraham, not only here, but elsewhere. And it's a good example, a good uh, testimony, and a good correlation to us, and we'll consider that tonight. Uh, let's begin by reading verses 5 through 9 of Galatians chapter 3. We'll, well, we'll jump on to a couple of other verses in the third chapter here, and perhaps we'll be finished with it tonight. But Galatians 3, beginning with verse 5, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Speaking about the Lord there, certainly, in case you were wondering. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Let's pause there and we'll bow our heads together and ask the Lord to bless this lesson tonight. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, in faith. That's what you ask from us, Lord, and that's what you provide for us in our hearts, Lord, to bring before you. I thank you that we can come boldly before your throne of grace, expecting help, mercy, more grace, more grace, more grace as we need it, Father, moment by moment even. I thank you for the privilege that we have, again, by faith, to come before you. So I pray that you would. As we step forward in faith, receiving from you, Lord, I pray that you would help us, abound us, Lord, in faith, deeper and broader. Oh, Father, help us, Lord, to believe more and more and to desire to believe more and more. Guide our hearts tonight, Father. Guard our thoughts and guide our thoughts as we consider your word and help us to open up to more and more of you. We give you the glory and the praise and the thanksgiving this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we kind of introduced the beef that Paul had with the Galatians. Beef being kind of, uh, it's kind of a colloquialism, I guess, but he had beef with these ones. He had a complaint with them. He had some things against them, and he was taking care of, of addressing that with them. Verse 2 kind of, kind of elaborates on that, where he says, This only I want to learn from you. This is what I need to know. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law uh, or by the hearing of faith? Again, they'd set themselves underneath the unnecessary burden of the law. And Paul called them foolish, called them bewitched in doing this, in believing that, well, that satisfying this law or attempting to, as we know we can't satisfy, putting themselves underneath this burden was something they felt was necessary for justification, perhaps. Or they thought it was you know, grace found in Jesus, certainly, but it enhanced their relationship with God somehow. Um, those were the two things that we considered last week as far as purposes or reasons why. But tonight, I told you I might have another consideration for this week, and I do. Something else that might have brought them, as simple as it might sound, and as kind of shallow perhaps, or kind of maybe even goofy. I wonder if they weren't interested in the law simply because it carried the weight of being old, of being ancient, of being the old ways, not simply because it's old. You know, 
Sometimes there is a respect of things just because they are old and they've stood the test of time, so to speak. And I'm, that's what I'm pointing to is that it's, it stood the test of time and it had been adhered to to some measure. It had been put out there as the, the vessel or, or the conduit of faith for so long that perhaps they looked at it and said, well, we can't just ditch it. We can't get rid of it. This is something something of to be lifted up, something to be exalted and, and to put away that completely. Uh, where, where's the good in that? Uh, I think that there probably was some of that there, that they valued it because of its ancient nature, because of its being around or having been around for so long. Certainly 2,000 years later, the law is ancient still, more ancient. It's older, 2,000 years older. Uh, that concept and the tenets of the law. It is an old way. Um, and those ones that consider it today, I think that there really is something that they look at and say, this, this is something ancient, it's something dusty and, and valuable, you know, uh, Indiana Jones-ish about it. You know, there's something, there's something here, there's something mystical in the old ways and that sort of thing. This is uncorrupted by the modern age, and so they... Well, they put the old ways in a, on a pedestal that, well, it shouldn't be put onto. Now, you might think that that's not necessarily very common, but it's a lot more common than you might think. I've heard different ones, well, carry that sort of opinion in things other than just the law, though I've heard that perspective shared about the law. But, you know, uh, well, we've been to Puerto Rico a number of times, been over across well, across the Atlantic and went into Great Britain where they have a number of old cathedrals and old, well, old buildings of worship of varying types there. And they are old and they are ancient. In Puerto Rico, I, we always passed by this one in San Juan and, and, and we looked at that and we've been inside a number of times. And if you haven't heard the stories of San Pio, then I can tell you about that. I won't tell you about him from the pulpit, but he's back there and we always visited visited San Pio, and every time we walked in there, you know, it was old and huge and stately and, 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 you know, what's the word? Stained glass, stained glass all over the place and statues and, and all of these things. And I heard more than once in that place and others like it. People go in and all of a sudden it's hushed tones with their, unless you're a gravid, then we didn't, we didn't always hush so much, but there were hushed tones and they would walk in and and everyone, they'd look around and they'd, and they'd look at one another and, and you'd well, oftentimes hear the comment, you can just feel God here. You can just feel his presence here. I've read a number of different things about the different synagogues well, out in Jerusalem and uh, different ones even from writers that purport to be Christian. They'll say, man, when I'm in this synagogue, you know, you can just feel God's presence in those things. And I want to say to these ones, where is God's presence in a place that absolutely denies his son? Where is his presence there? If, if his presence is indeed there, what's his mindset? You know, they felt the presence of Jesus in Jerusalem when he fashioned a whip of cords and he went into the temple and overturned and drove them out. They felt his presence there. And I'm more inclined to believe that God's presence in a place that denies Jesus being who he is, denies him being the son of God, will not hear it, doesn't teach Isaiah 53 during their liturgical calendar, 
I'm, I'm inclined to believe that his presence is one that, number one, either they're not feeling it or they're misinterpreting it entirely. But you walk in and you feel a place, and you're like, this place is so ancient, and it just it feels magnificent because of its oldness, its ancientness, its stateliness. Uh, you know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. If his presence isn't in something, like a synagogue, like one where it preaches God absent of the Son, well, it's not a holy thing. It's not something to be revered. It's not something to be lifted up and honored and looked at and think, well, it's just because of its stature and its stateliness. It must be something holy. It isn't. If grace by faith is not there, true grace by true faith in the one true Son of God, then it isn't holy, and it can't be viewed as such. Now, whether these ones in Galatia and, you know, nowadays were impressed by the mystique that surrounded and still surrounds to some of the law of Moses or the regality of the ancientness of that. You hear different people, you know, whether it's, whether it's the law or not, you hear people talking about the Kabbalah and you hear people talk about the old teachings of Confucius and Buddha and, and Muhammad and all these different ones and they're like these old these old sacred things, you know. All I think about is one of those silly Star Wars movies where the tree was, if you don't follow Star Wars, you won't even know what I'm talking about. But the tree's on fire and Luke says, the ancient Jedi text. And, you know, and Yoda's like, forget it. It's, it's garbage. You know, putting stock into something because it's old and it just feels so mystical and that sort of thing, when its time is done and it's reached its expiration date, the expiration date is passed, it needs to be put away and given the place that it is due and what the Lord gives it. And the Lord says, my son has fulfilled this. Set it aside. These ones look at something that's old for spiritual benefit when it doesn't give it. Now, there is blessing to be found in the old ways, and I don't want to confuse anybody. Jeremiah 6 and verse 16 says this, Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways. I'm behind, aren't I? Stand in the ways and see. And ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Well, there you go, the old way. You have the law here, and man, that's as old as it gets. Well, no, it isn't, as a matter of fact. That's, it's, it is an older way. But it's not the old way. The old paths and where good lays far predates the law of Moses. The old paths and where the good way is is much, much, much older. Now, Paul pointed to Abraham uh, as an example of this truth. Abraham being the patriarch of the, well, of the Israelites of Canaan. He was the patriarch. He was the first one that moved up, came up out of his land when the Lord called him and said, wherever your feet touch, look. You know, the stars of the sky, the sand of the sea, that's going to be your people. This is going to be your land. He made him a promise. You understand that Abraham, this one to whom the promise was given, and this one that Paul pointed out to as an example for these ones in Galatia, he predated the law. He wasn't under the law. What brought him closer to the Lord? What brought him to this righteous relationship with God? You know, Tell me, what was it? Faith. It was faith. Simple. Faith. This simple fundamental building block of our walk with the Lord is faith. 
What is it? The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's the foundational piece of our walk. Faith. Abraham, well before the law. 430 years, I think, is what verse 17 says. This I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. And he found that promise and he found that righteousness by faith. That's where Abraham got it. It wasn't the law. It wasn't the tenants. It wasn't any of these things. What about circumcision, Greg? Abraham was the founder of that. It was a seal. And it was a ratification of sorts of that covenant that was there. I was talking with Aunt Kathy and Uncle Rob the other day. Talking about yellow freight going under. And I said, oh, what was the issue there? And Teamsters didn't come to an, an agreement with them. And I said, well, they met with UPS, right? And they finished that. And Aunt Kathy says, yes, they ratified the the contract with UPS, Teamsters did, the union, the drivers, but they didn't ratify that with yellow. They didn't, well, make the sign it off on the dotted line, I guess you could say. Circumcision was a signing on the dotted line for that specific covenant. It wasn't the incorporation of the law for Abraham. Abraham was before and outside of those tenants. They didn't come. It didn't come for him. What brought him to the Lord? Brother Gary just said a moment ago. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you. This is what we just read a moment ago in verse 5. Does he do it by the works of the law? No. Or by the hearing of faith? Well, yes, he does. That's exactly how he does it. Rhetorical question by Paul there. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He believed God when he said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to establish you. You're going to be a blessing to all people. He believed him. That's faith. That's understanding what was there. He had faith and he was saved as a result of it. Period. Not by the not mixing the fabrics, not by the not eating the pork, not by any of those other things. He it was faith. Now, because he had faith, it doesn't mean that he was outside of the capability of stepping outside of that faith. Abraham was as human as you and I are. We understand that. It wasn't by faith that he tried to secure that promise for himself with the handmaiden of Sarah. That was him trying to make things go as he thought that they felt right. That was him looking for it. Well, this must this must be an option. This must be an option because... Well, there's no other way that it can be. This this is how it's happened for so long, right? Bodies at my age don't work. Bodies at Sarah's age don't work. This is how it must. This is how it must be. No, that's looking towards ancient things. That's looking towards the old ways and not God's ways. Uh, it wasn't by faith that he was trying to make the promise come. In that moment, he needed grace too, and he received it. He received grace. Uh, the Lord. Forgave him for his missteps. Not just that one, but all of those ones. He had faith and he received it. Think about Adam and Eve. They received grace in the garden, didn't they? Does it get much older than Adam and Eve? Did they receive grace in the garden when they believed the serpent over the word of God? Well, he covered them with skins. And you know that's a picture of Jesus' own shed blood. That was the one instruction they had. Don't eat of this tree. But it looks good for food. You won't die. God said that we would die. No, you won't die. And that was it. That was it. And the Lord still covered them with skins. Taught them 
of sacrifice later on, taught their children of sacrifice later on. They were covered there. They received grace. They received forgiveness. Judgment, yes. Chastisement, absolutely. But they received grace by faith well before the law. Fact of the matter is, is nothing is older. Nothing is more ancient. Nothing is more mystical in its, in its old nature than grace by faith. It's the oldest message in Scripture. Grace by faith all the way back to the first man and woman there. If it doesn't feel holy or godly, it doesn't matter. It is godly. It is holy. Regardless of what age, regardless of what dispensation you're talking about, regardless of what God's dispensing to mankind in that age was, regardless of what conduit he was using to demonstrate it, it was grace by faith from the beginning. Grace by faith, simply believing. Faith was what mattered. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 11. It didn't matter the parameters of the age that were there. Now, it mattered how they accommodated those things. Under the law, they had better adhere to the law and do so faithfully and do so with the right heart. But it was the heart that the Lord was looking at. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, he says to the, says the Lord. He said to his people when they were, well, well elbows deep in well, idolatry and rebellion and all of those things. When they were mixing things with, well, with his direction and his order. He says, to what purpose? Where is, what's your intention with this? To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. Did he tell them, stop it then, no more of this? Well, perhaps not in the moment. What was he saying that he wanted instead? Uh, I've had enough burnt offerings. I've had enough of the fat of fed cattle. I don't delight in these things that I told you to do. I don't delight in these things. I want your heart right. That's what he's saying. I want your, I want your faith. I want you not to just come and set out this animal as blemishless as it might be, as pure as it might be, as, as pristine as the presentation might be, and you did everything just right and went through all of the step by step by step and brought it to the priest and etc., etc. Man, it's fantastic. The blood was poured out and all this stuff, done. No, he says, I want your heart right in this. That's what I want out of you. I want you doing the right thing for the right reason. Not the right thing for the wrong reason, because your heart is out then. God searches the heart for the motivation. For the intent of that obedience. And those who have that faith in him and have that trust for him are indeed his, regardless of the dispensation, regardless of the bloodline, regardless of the history and heredity. Those ones who believe in him are his people. Paul continues back there in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 7. Continues pointing at Abraham as an example of this faith. He says, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. I touched on this on Sunday. I might have been a little bit confusing with, with the terminology that I use there and just passing over it rather quickly. It says in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying... In you all the nations shall be blessed. 
God shared his word back in that time. It says that he foreknew. The Lord knows what's going to happen, knows what's going to come, knows his will. And he told Abraham well before the law was installed, well before Jacob was born, well before the nation, well, the nation split off into 12 and all of those things. Well before all of that, he knew what was going to happen. He knew that Israel was going to disregard Jesus. He was going to disregard him, but then his son as well. He knew that the Gentiles were going to come in and be grafted in. Uh, oh, and Israel gave up, gave up a measure of their blessing, certainly. He knew that. And so he preached to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. How? How are they going to be blessed in you? Well, it's faith, once again. It's, it's, this is as simple a lesson as I can give, probably. It's all faith. It all comes back to faith in believing the Lord. Paul was pointing to God's willingness to bless Abraham and us as a result as we share his faith. Apart from the law, apart from Israel, apart from that bloodline, faith was what was going to well, bring blessing. Abraham's faith and our faith as we share it with him. Now, not all of the Jewish believers shared that position. Believers in Jesus, certainly. But they still held a different set of ideals for the Gentile in that day. Galatians chapter 2 spoke of some of those ones of the circumcision that came, right? After 14 years, after 14 years, Paul went up to Jerusalem and he was going to talk to the elders there, talk to James and, and all of those ones. And it said that there were some of those ones that came in who, well, what does it say there in verse, uh, in verse 4? This occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. They came with the intent of, well, putting a kibosh on this freedom of this grace that they were talking about. Saying, wait, no, 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 this, is, this, is, this isn't for everybody. This, there, there are still, some, there are still some, some tenets that you have to follow. Now, it says that Titus, who was with him being a Greek, who, well, by these ones who were trying to put them under bondage, would have been compelled to be circumcised to make that sign, make that sign that he was under the, under the law, or at least taking on some of those tenets. He says, no, man, <laughs> didn't happen. We didn't, we didn't yield... S- Submission to them, not even for an hour, it says in verse 5. We didn't submit a speck to them because none of that bondage is for us. And we have faith, believing the Lord, that He indeed put that away for us. They weren't going to be bewitched. They weren't going to be compelled to fall back under that same thing to satisfy anybody. No matter what the, well, the exaltation of that ancient way was, it didn't matter. <clears throat> it didn't matter. Paul knew some things. Paul knew that the Jews, those ones of the circumcision, they didn't guard the gate to faith. They didn't guard the gate to righteousness. It wasn't through their religious practices that you find righteousness, and it wasn't through their bloodline either. Yes, there is blessing to be found in being a Jew. Uh, I, I forget the passage it was. I think I might have it right here. Um, perhaps I do. Yeah, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 1. What advantage then has the Jew, Paul said? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Is there, is there an advantage there? Well, sure there is. Much in every way, he says, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. They received the word of God first. They received Jesus' presence first. They received 
a number of blessings from the Lord first and had an opportunity in that. But it wasn't their blood. Well, it's not their blood that makes them special. Their blood doesn't give them well, some promise of something greater than what the Lord has promised us. Let me say it that way. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 29. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty about the difference between by and through there. There is technically a difference if, well, if if you look at by and through, there's technically a difference in word. But if you get into the Greek, it's very much the same meaning. Very much the same application. And faith is what's going to give righteousness to the Jew. Faith is what's going to bring righteousness to the uncircumcised. I'll ask the Lord about this and see if I'm supposed to elaborate on that. But suffice it to say that justification comes to anybody by and through faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus. Step down to verse 9 of Romans chapter 4. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness, not only to the Galatians that he expressed this. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. He had faith before he made any kind of expression of satisfying any of the tenets that would even be associated with the law. He had faith well before he made any outward demonstration as designated as being any sort of law-keeping or anything in line with the law. Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised he had this faith. He ratified it after that. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. How can you argue against the truth? That justification is there for any and everybody, regardless, regardless of blood, regardless of history, certainly not by any works. How can you argue that? I, I don't see that you can. Not with any kind of well, not with any kind of rational thought in my mind. They knew, Paul, Titus, and these other ones that were concrete in their faith, they knew that in Christ there is no Jew or Greek. Back in Galatians chapter 3 in our opening passage there. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26. Paul goes on to say, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Jew, Gentile, does it matter? Well, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Put on the new man. You have a new creation. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The promise that in Abraham all the nations shall be blessed. Not just Israel. No Jew nor Greek. Not by the law. Not by the blood. Not by that law that even Abraham was not under. No, only those who share faith are blessed with him. It is simple. Sharing that faith, you will be blessed with believing Abraham. When I was young, I used to read that and I'd be like, 
I'm going to be blessed by believing Abraham. No, it's not by believing Abraham. It's blessed with adjective. Believing Abraham. Abraham believed. All we have to do is believe. Share that faith. And we will be blessed with him. Heirs according to the promise. Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, it says in Luke 3 and verse 8. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. You... We, are, we stand alone, these Pharisees and Jews would say. We have authority. We have the bloodline. We have the religion. We have the tenets. We have the law. We have all of these things that we have done that has brought us into this way. People can't just attach themselves. You can't just fall into this. No, there is a process. There is a means by which you must well, accommodate all of these things required to come before Jehovah. Bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. God can do anything. So then, as we look back in our text, those who are of faith are blessed along with believing Abraham. Those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. I remember seeing that in a church we attended when I was in Salina or Joplin, one of those million places I lived at when I lived when I was a kid. They had a stomp. I'm like, Father Abraham. And I thought to myself with righteous indignation, you never call anyone father but God. And so, you know, there's, it's scriptural, true. But I never understood the whole father. And I am one of them and so are you. I'm not, I'm not well, how am I a son of Abraham? Never understood it when I was marching along and doing all the hand motions and all of those sorts of things. Uh, you're a son of Abraham. You are, well, one of those ones. You share faith with him. Those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Those who, want, who share his faith are blessed by this one, whom all nations can be blessed by as they simply believe. Uh, What is it that we need to believe along with Abraham? Well, verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Uh, Simple faith, simple faith in the Lord, simple faith for his salvation, certainly. But it doesn't just stop there. You know that. There's faith in believing him from glory to glory, from issue to issue, from need for grace to the next need for grace to the next need for grace. It's what Abraham did years and years and years before the law. It's what those ones who occupied themselves under the law were still called to do, to come before the Lord in faith. Certainly within the parameters of that conduit by which that grace was demonstrated in that day, yes. But it was with the faith in the heart. Um, The Lord searched those hearts and understood the reasons why they came and did what they did. Now, this, this whole... Well, these ones that came in and tried to put them under bondage, and these ones who bewitched these Galatians, and these ones who fooled these foolish Galatians, why would they... Well, why would they do such things? And why would there be such a pushback from the Jews of allowing the Gentiles to come in without putting them under that yoke of bondage? Why would there be such that? And I kind of alluded to that in just a, uh, just a moment ago. But I'll just kind of elaborate just for a second here. 
We might get out of here early this evening. I think it's human nature, just just on a day-to-day level, honestly. Some people certainly have a greater burden with this and a greater issue with this than others. I think it's human nature for people to compare their situation with other people's situations. Maybe a, a whole body of other people. Or perhaps just an individual, someone that we're familiar with, and we look at them and think, man, they sure have it easy in this manner, in this manner, or I sure have it difficult in this way or that way. And that whole body of people that looks different than me or acts different than me, they sure have it easier than I do, or whatever the case might be. It is human nature to question and compare our way to others' ways. And I wonder if these ones sat there and thought to themselves, I've studied the prophets and Moses for all my life. Are you kidding me? I've, been in, I've memorized the scrolls of Isaiah and all of these things. I hold to the tenets. I've done this and that. I, I, I go to synagogue. I do all of these things. I'm a direct descendant. A direct descendant of Abraham. Right down through the line, through the line of Benjamin and down through this tribe. And I can trace my lineage all the way back. Listen, I'm not poking at any Jews and I'm not diminishing any people other than these ones who would feel this way. These ones who would burden and say, you must accommodate what I have done for these many years. All this Gentile has to do, all they have to do is believe. That's all you'll take. They have to just believe. They don't have to bear the scars that I... Bears, literally. They don't have to accommodate these things that I have accommodated. All they have to do is believe. And Paul is telling you, six chapters of Galatians, all through Revelations. Yes, not Revelation, Romans. Yes, yes. That's all you have to do is believe. Faith. That's what he's telling them. He's just expressing this. Yes, These things are put aside. Don't compare your way and what you've done up until this point. Just because it's some ancient way, some mystical way that you've attached and exalted, kept way past its expiration date, now you're expecting these ones? No, that's done with. The Lord said this is expired and there's a new age today. And rather than comparing your old ways and what you've been having to deal with and what you've done and what your forefathers did and all that, let's just celebrate. Let's just celebrate the freedom that we have by grace today. That's what Paul's telling them. Why have you, what foolish Galatians, why have you put yourselves back under this yoke of bondage when it's not at all benefiting you and it's completely and entirely against the will of God? What in the world? Um... Yeah, John chapter 21 and verse 21, there at the end of that book. Peter kind of puts that tendency into practice, doesn't he? Remember in John 21, verse 21, when Jesus told him, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, so on and so forth. Told him about the means by which he would die and and that sort of thing. Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? How about him? And he instantly is comparing the situation between himself and John. Jesus said, if I will that he remain till I come, didn't say that that's what he will, but he said, if, if my way for him is this, what is that to you? What do you care is what he's saying, essentially. You follow me. If I have this for him, it doesn't matter. Are you satisfied 
with the calling that I have for you? Saints, are you satisfied with the calling that the Lord has for you, ultimately speaking? Are you satisfied as you sit there and think right now that the promise to be in the throne with Jesus, side by side with Him, as a part of that rib portion, having made yourself ready, prepared and adorned and and seated with Him in that closest place for all eternity. Are you satisfied with that promise? I am. I don't... I'm pleased that that's what He offers me because I don't believe He offers anyone anything better. I'm pleased with that. Now, He called for Paul to do a number of things that I don't think I will ever have to endure. Paul said he had a thorn in his flesh and he asked the Lord three times, remove it from me, Lord, please. And what did the Lord tell him? My grace is sufficient for you. Whatever your thorn is, my grace is sufficient for you. So whether I feel I have it exceedingly easy or I feel like I have it exceedingly terrible and hard and way, I mean, I have it way more difficult than Diane does. Who does she think she is having? Man, if I had it the way her life... No, no, we can't do such things. We can't sit and, and demand that she experience the things that I do or that I experience get things as easy as so-and-so does it. Or No, that's not it. That's where the Jews, well, the Jews that fell into this practice were failing themselves. And those, well, those ones that were under their authority and under their influence, they were sitting here demanding that someone else be put under bondage. No, celebrate that that bondage has been put aside. Celebrate that grace by faith in its clearest, most clear, most final form that we can look at. Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus purchasing our pardon. Jesus buying our redemption. Finally, not just alluded to as it was in the Old Testament, but here pristinely presented. Christ crucified. Our salvation. Our redemption. Period. Praise the Lord. It's done. It's complete for us. I'm not going to put myself or anyone else under the bondage that is unnecessary, ungodly, and absolutely against what the Lord would have us to partake in. And that's what these ones were doing. What is it to you if the Gentile is grafted in? Paul might have said to these Jews. What is it to the Gentile if the Jew was first given the oracles of God? If they were first given access to Jesus? What is it to me as long as I have access to Jesus? As long as I have promise by faith, grace by faith. Does he promise you that? Yes, he does. Does he promise me that? Yes, he does. And I'm satisfied with that. And I will pursue that grace. Grace to endure and grace to learn and grace to love and grace to do all the things that he asks me to. By faith, that same faith that Abraham had before the law, that same faith that Adam and Eve came to the Lord, well, At some point, they asked for forgiveness from him, didn't they? Because he offered it. By faith, these different ones throughout each of these dispensations, each of these ages, by faith with their own hearts believing, regardless of what the parameters were for that age, was always the same. Grace by faith. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By it, the elders obtained a good testimony. And I'm grateful for that testimony. Unfortunately, the assurance of that grace by faith wasn't enough for the Galatians and they fell into this trap and they sought to find something else to enhance their righteousness in. 
It should have been enough for them. And it should be enough for all of us in this age to say, this is what the Lord told me it is. This is what the Lord has demonstrated. This is what the Lord foreshadowed for us throughout all of these books. And we see it carried out in Jesus. Jesus put it away. And now we have (laughs) grace by faith. And that's that. We have been blessed with believing Abraham. It doesn't matter. We don't need any more. We don't need any less than everything that God has for us. Everything that he's called us to. We don't need to try to enhance anything. The Galatians didn't need to. What he asks from us is enough. No more and no less. And he gives us precisely the grace that we need for that. All the strength that we need. Despite our feeling that, oh, mm, this feels so holy. This feels like this could really help me. It's not what the Lord has. But it's. It's ancient and it's, it feels good and it looks, man, it looks impressive. No, it's not what he has. We should trust him, saints. Trust him that he's working all things together for our good. And he gives us everything we need to accommodate those things he's working together for our good. We have been blessed with believing Abraham simply by trusting him and having faith to receive that grace that he has for us. We need no more And we need no less than the grace that he gives us by the faith we have in him. We'll continue next week, perhaps stepping on to chapter 4, but that's where we'll stop tonight in chapter 3.